Welcome back to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. I'm your host, Joel, and today we have Ray with us. How are you doing, Ray? Doing really good, bro. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. I'm excited to hear your story. So let's let's actually set the scene for our listeners right now. Where are we, Ray? It's an amazing place, but you tell us exactly sort of what. where are we? I mean, it's awesome here. Well, Arapahui Retreat uh, is 22 acres uh, of... Uh, country farmland and bush um, at Arapahui, which is uh, 20 minutes south of Dargaville and an hour west of Whangarei and two hours north of Auckland. In New Zealand for those international in listeners. <laughs> uh, well, New Zealand's paradise and Arapahui is considered to be the, the next best thing. It absolutely is here. Yeah. It's just stunning. But we... we we're here because my wife and I were called to set up the Wildside Charitable Trust and um, the Lord led us to um, the trust to purchase this property and the reason why we're here is to see Jesus save, heal and deliver mm, come people, on. particularly with addictions and or trauma in their lives. Mm. So that's what, we're, that's what we're doing here. We've been here two years, uh, but it was... Uh, Quite a long story to get here. Mm. Oh, I'm excited to hear all about it. Um, should we rewind a little bit to where your testimony begins? Because I'm sure by the end of it we'll be right here and we can find out where God's taking you now. So let's rewind a little bit and then we'll we'll come back to here. That's for sure. We're just going back a few years. I was the... Uh, a crusade organizer for Bill Sabritsky and Dove Ministries. Um, and we, I used to uh, organize all the crusades and be involved in the, in the, the testimonies that, that were filmed there and things. But we used a, a brochure um, where we said, Encounter the healing, love, and power of the risen Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk about um, today. Because the truth is that God is real and that he sent his son Jesus Christ to earth where he was crucified to death and rose again the third day. And if we believe in him and surrender our hearts to him, we will not perish but but have everlasting life. Mm. So Jesus is the most important person in, in my life. I sort of follow a, a, a theory that, um, scriptural theory I believe, that Christ should be first in our lives. Mm. Amen. Our wives or husbands, if you're a female, should be second. Mm. Then our children. Then our work, because we've got to provide for the household. And then our ministry is right at the bottom. And uh, I believe if we keep that, that in order, the Lord can use your, minister, mm. use your ministry. And... Um, Although I was a, the eldest son of a preacher man, George Curl, evangelist, he was the first evangelist for Youth for Christ in New Zealand ever after the war. And he went right through every town in New Zealand, which were mainly loose metal roads in those days, in a, in a beat-up uh, car with two or three guys. They went to every town which had a population over a 1,000 and, and preached the gospel. Come on. And um, so I, I, I grew up... Uh, in in a Christian family, therefore, um, Dad was originally open brethren, and then we moved into the Baptist church, 
Hilver Baptist, and um, I went through Bible class and um, went to used to go to Dad's meetings. Uh, he used slides called Faithfinder Films. Derek Spackman put them together, uh, slides uh, as he was preaching, bringing messages about Genesis and geology, the proofs of the resurrection um, of Jesus Christ. So I had a real good grounding in the things of the scripture. But at one point in time, I know I was about 12 years of age. First of all, at 10 years of age, I remember giving my heart to the Lord at Narawahi at a a youth camp. Climbed up to my bed and said, Lord, I want you to come into my heart. So I I know that that happened that I was born again at that point in time. But around about the age of 12, I came across something uh, in, in my father's things that I didn't like or that I didn't think he should have in the house. And I judged him. I was quietly, secretly, um, unimpressed. And and um, I just thought, what's that doing in a, in a household? Nothing super bad, just something that um, was questionable. Mm. And I believe that 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 judgment I had on him caused me in my teens mm. to rebel. And um, that's what happened. I went out into the water surfing, promiscuity, and uh, eventually uh, drug-taking. Uh, my first job when I left school, I was a junior copywriter with a small ad, ad agency owned by a Christian, uh, W. Haythorn Thwaite. Uh, then I moved to a bigger agency, Goldberg Advertising, and then Cummings Enterprises Direct Mail, and then I found my vocation as an advertising salesman for the then pirate radio station, Radio Haraki. Um, the, I worked from the uh, the offices in Anzac Avenue, and there was no one on that station under the age of 24. Hmm. Um it broadcast, of course, from out at sea. Mm. Supposed to be the three mile limit. Yeah, but between you and me, I think they slipped into Great Barrier Island quite regularly <laughs> and kept broadcasting yeah. until the post office called them up and said, "Hey, we're coming out to photograph where you are located." Yeah, in which case they'd say, "Oh, that's cool," and they would go out there, <laughs> photographed, and then they'd go back in again. <laughs> I believe that's what happened. I'm not sure, but it could have been. So that was um, that was a pretty wild wild life because any, anything associated with Radio Haraki in those days, you mm. were just super cool. You could get free tickets to all the rock concerts, mm. and uh, that was a, a pretty cra- crazy life. And um, then I decided uh, to take a break, and with two friends, uh, sailed in a twenty three foot sloop called the Orbiter. Um, across to Australia. We were big surfers in, in those days, my friend Max and I, and uh, this guy Brad um, from Whangarei actually sailed down. My brother David introduced me to him and we thought, hey, what a cool idea. He wanted to go to Australia. We'll come, we'll take our surfboards on top and we'll just we'll go surfing in Australia. Typical Kiwis going, so I was about 20 at that time. Had some hair-raising incidents trying to get there. Um, it was interesting that at one time we were up the top of the th- we'd gone gone past the North Cape mm. and the reason was 
that Brad, our skipper, um, was seasick. We weren't seasick, but he was seasick all the time, so he, he wasn't doing the navigation things properly, and he, and he had no idea that we were many, many miles north of the mm. of North Cape of New Zealand. We were supposed to be going left to Australia. Oh. So when we, when we worked it out, we came back to the North Cape, and as we came into the Three King Islands, mm. there were some rocks here, and, and it was late at night, and we didn't know... Uh, where we were heading, and I remember a bit of fear coming through me, and I said to Max, I said, listen, you better give us a cigarette to smoke, because I never smoked during my teenage years, which was brilliant, hated this stuff. And so, took a smoke, he laughed at me, he said, you don't even know how to smoke, you're supposed to take it down into your lungs. So I did that, and I was addicted for 10 years. Cheers. From that very moment of not smoking, and at 20, yeah, smoking for 10 years. Could could I do you mind if I backtrack just a little bit? Um, and this is you know a little bit for myself to be honest. But could you explain pirate radio? What is that? Well, back in the sixties, you only had in New Zealand government-run radio stations. So it's not a bunch of people with peg legs and eye patches on with a, with a few radio mics. <laughs> <laughs> no, the pirate radio ship was um, David Gapes and uh, a group of young guys um, hired a boat called the Tiri, and they wanted to see commercial radio come to New Zealand and pop music and whatever, mm. because you only had 1ZB, which was uh, adult, 1YA, national program, which was even more adult, 1YC, which was a concert program, which was classical music, and 1ZM, which which was a, a bit more pop music. But around the world, particularly in, in England, there were several pirate radio stations mm. broadcasting from out at sea so, they, so the government couldn't deal to them and broadcasting their music into the teenagers. And, of course, yeah. you had the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and yeah. Beach Boys, and, and there was a whole movement of rebellion in the world amongst right. young people. And, of course, the pirate radio stations, they just fed that. So mm. Turi went out to sea, hooked off Great Barrier Island, and they broadcast really good rock and roll into, mm. into, the, into the atmosphere. They had the top jocks, some of them from Australia, uh, good voices and what have you. And the teenagers in New Zealand, uh, particularly those who could hear Haraki, which is uh, Northland, Auckland, and south of Auckland, you didn't listen to anything else but Haraki. You just clicked into it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that makes a bit more sense. I have seen um, the movie um, Rock the Boat. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing, eh? Same thing. Yeah. Exactly the same thing. Cool. All right. Yeah. Sorry. We'll get back to um, you having your first cigarette. Yeah. So that was uh, pretty sad. But we went to Australia. We did finally get there. And, <laughs> you did uh, finally get there. <laughs> we uh, surfed up the coast, Max and I, left Brad, um, and uh, uh, couldn't get any work in um, uh, Brisbane, very hard to get work there, so we hitchhiked with our boards down to Sydney, and uh, we got we got jobs there doing things, and, and that was good. And then I came back uh, to New Zealand uh, after, after two years surfing in Australia, and I returned, and by that time Radio Haraki had got its legal licence. Mm. So I was able to come on shore 
and they had studios in Caltech's house in Auckland, and they were a full-on radio station. So I came back as a salesperson and uh, made a lot of money uh, selling advertising space. A couple of years later, I got itchy feet again, and I decided, my girlfriend and I wanted to uh, uh, do the big, uh, what is it, SO, SEO, when... The OE, Overseas Experience. Ah, that's it, yeah, OE. Um, we wanted to go to go to England. So um, headed off there and needed to work, of course, and through some introductions I got a, work, I got a job with Thames Television, which was the, the biggest commercial TV station in London. Had a had an audience of um, potential of 12 million, and they shared that with BBC One and BBC Two. Mm. And uh, so I was all of a sudden selling television space instead of radio space, but that that, that was uh, a really uh, interesting thing to do. And then um, England allowed private radio to come and come into the country. Mm. They didn't have it either. They just had BBC One, BBC Two, BBC Three, BBC Four, all government owned. Yep. And finally. They allowed private radio to come because they'd, they'd had heaps and heaps of pirate radio stations previously. And so the first private uh, FM station into London was Capital Radio. And that was a real powerful machine. Stevie Wonder did their jingles. Um, and I switched from Thames TV across to them real mm. quick. And, uh, and so worked, worked with advertising agencies and, and that. So through this, you're at um, whatever that early age when you um, started, uh, when you when you found that um, thing in your dad's house, and that sort of hardened your heart. Well, judgment happened yeah. there, and then hardened your heart. So yeah, through all of this, your heart's actually been hardened towards God and, and anything like that. You'd sort of yeah. not even thought about him, or no, n- n- never forgot about God. Went to went went to a Billy Graham crusade just to check it out, in London, and were really moved by it. Um, and uh, my girlfriend at the, at the time, she had a real experience with the Lord. But the rebellion in me said, you know, I don't want to go so far. Mm. And so I, I kept it back. Um, we actually got ma- got married in, in London and then um, returned to New Zealand. Mm where I set up uh, Creative Media Services, which was a, a rep house that represented not only Hauraki but three of the other private radio stations. Mm. And so we were in our 20s, mid-20s. Um, I think you'd call us yuppies before the, before the term was even invented. I brought back a Datsun 240Z, uh, changed it for a Fiat Mia for Ferrari, then an Alpha Sud, then a BMW five two one. Dope smoking was rampant in the radio world, uh, and so we got really got into it then, and then progressed to extensive cocaine use. Mm. So for me, this is still all, rebe- all rebellion because I, I I never forgot about the Lord. I just didn't follow Him, mm. and th- that's where it happened. And I sold out my share of CMS. And I decided to take up a new job at the station manager of Radio 4XO in Dunedin. While Mike Baker moved out, 
from that position and set up Radio Central in Alexandra. So we're rightly having fun uh, p- playing radio stations, mm. and uh, that that was that was all good good fun. Except that my wife didn't want to come down with me. She would uh, sick of the lifestyle that she knew I'd been le- leading on the side, as it were, and so she didn't she didn't come down. Mm. Um, I went back up to Auckland to settle maintenance with her. My daughter Amanda, who was only about five at the time, suddenly realised her parent parents weren't getting back together and burst into tears and something like a guitar string snapped inside me. Mm. You know, I was up in Auckland talking with my to become ex and something went bang in my heart. And I got back on the plane going back to 4XO and I heard the Lord say, Ray, I'm calling you back home. And I just started a journey to find him. I go back to Radio Otago. I'd hired a newsreader, mm. um, who, who whose wife I knew, I knew as a friend. She was at Radio Haraki. She was a Christian, and she was praying for me continually. And she said to me, "Ray, you need our station needs to have some contemporary Christian music on it." And uh, by that time, because I was being drawn close to the Lord, I said, "Yep, okay." Put it to my uh, program director. Mm. And he said, over my dead body. And I said, well, I'm the manager. It might be over your dead body. And he said, well, I'm not going to select it. So we organised to have a program of contemporary Christian music on a Sunday or something or other. And I took all the latest Christian music, which I'd never heard before, Mm. Amy Grant and a lot of well-known people in those days, in the 70s. And um, as I listened to the music to select the best tracks, I tried to select the rockiest tracks to keep the program director happy. Mm. I could heard, I just heard how much God loved me mm. through the lyrics, the love of the Father, and it just melted my heart. And I just, I just uh, chose to, from that point on, I was going to pursue God. He made a radical change, in, radical change in my life. Um, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, so if I were to ask you when you were in those rebellious years, because you said that you never forgot about God, you know. So if I were to ask you, Ray, as a stranger, you know, Ray, do you believe in God? When you were in England and things like that, what would have you had said? Yeah, I think I would have said yes, and I would have repeated the phrase that my father always used. Yeah. Um, well... Mankind, with all his ingenuity and scientific ability, can't even produce one living blade of grass. True. So I would love to drop that line on people. <laughs> it's already good. I haven't heard that before. That's awesome. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I would say, so of course God exists. Yeah. The fact that I wasn't obeying him, because the Bible yeah. says, Jesus says that if you love me, you will obey me, obey yeah. my commandments. mm and so, obviously, I wasn't loving the Lord, yeah. But I never stopped believing in Him. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. It's almost the difference between a believer and a disciple, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's believers are stated in the in the New Testament all over the place. Yep. And then there's disciples, and they truly go to the next level and yeah. actually seeking out what God's saying for them to do, what Jesus is saying for them to do, and the yeah. Holy Spirit and and actually obeying those commands. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. So, so after about um, 
uh, two years running Radio, Radio Otago, I'd all already been hooked into a group that were um, lobbying the government to get FM into the country. And uh, we formed a company and I was drawn back then out of Radio Otago, came to Auckland, and here am I getting closer and closer and closer to the Lord, ditching the relationship that I had had, had, had in Auckland. And... Um, Sitting up in the offices with the, all these big wigs that were the, on the board of eighty uh, nine FM, which was the first FM radio station that Auckland ever got, commercial FM, and so I would have been part of that. Mm. But um, I was feeling less and less inclined to be involved because I wasn't involved, didn't want to be involved in the um, in, in the in the dope smoking. And uh, the life that w- revolved around that. And one day I got a f- phone call when I was in the board meeting and it was my, my wife saying, Ray, um, can you pick up Amanda, your daughter, uh, on Saturday? Oh, and by the way, I've made a decision. I don't want to come back into the marriage. Now, that was interesting because that's what dropped me to my knees. I just dropped to my knees because the Lord sometimes has to pull the rug out from underneath you. And I went home and I lay on my bed and I just wept before the Lord. Lord, I thought that you'd bring everything back together again. I'm, I'm seeking to follow you and what have you, but it's not what happened. You know, he wanted He wanted me to come to, come to total repentance. So I spent an hour or so on my, my bed in Hearn Bay repenting for all of my sin. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, tax evasion, you name it. Um, I just repented. And then all of a sudden, um, I had a, the most incredible, euphoric experience, better than anything I'd ever had on drugs. I got zapped by the love of God. I was wow. transfixed to my bed. Um, I wrote, a, wrote about it uh, in a testimony where I said, um, I cried out to the Lord. I suddenly charged with what seemed like a zillion volts of electricity that transfixed me to the bed so that I was unable to move. For what seemed like an eternity, wave after wave of God's love flowed right through me. Wow. It was an incredible experience. Um, and people know the experience of being baptised in the Holy Spirit. Mm. That would be a similar experience. Um, but it was even more, more than that. Mm. He just poured his love upon me and I woke up, got off of bed I still had a bag of dope in the um, uh, wardrobe that I hadn't been using but I just fell in love with Jesus Christ I took that bag of dope round to the my dope friends and said guys, I'm never going to need this again they just laughed and said, oh Ray, have a dope bro and, <laughs> and you'll get sorted I never touched it again come on, amen it was gone, to- all addiction to anything yeah. was gone and you had no like withdrawal or no. pull or anything like Nothing. that? Just Nothing. gone. No. And God's good, isn't he? Oh yeah. So that's obviously I mean, that moment, I love how that moment in your life has foreshadowed your future on what you're doing here. Yeah. That's so cool. Oh yeah. 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 Well, in fact, to fast track the next uh thirty five years or longer, forty years or something rather. I went to Taupo to work for Universal Homes, which was owned by 
uh, the Avengers, Bill Sabritsky, he hadn't sold it at that point in time. He was still still working, although he was uh, going around the world speaking at full gospel conventions and around New Zealand or what have you. And uh, my my brother had married his daughter, and so there, there was a connection there. So I went to him. I said, "Bill, I I don't know what to do. Um, I'm experiencing um, horrific." Uh, pain in my heart, emotional pain. I've come back to the Lord, but look, look at the years I've just wasted. Mm. And He just said, "Ray, I just see a vision of of you as a as a boat coming in from a storm, and it's just sailing into a lagoon of absolute peace." And my life since then, although there's been a few ups and downs in that, really. I've known the peace of the Lord in my heart ever since, mm. and uh, he and he said uh, I need salesman uh, Ray for Universal Homes. And so I worked in Auckland for a little while. Then he sent me down to Rotorua to work with a high flyer down there, s- setting up the Universal Homes in there. Then he sent me down to to um, Taupo, where I just me in the office, and uh, a guy a guy walked into the Universal Home shop down there and uh, said, oh, you're new to town. How are you? My name is Laurie. And uh, he was a a charismatic Catholic fellow. And um, he said, uh, there's a a group of guys or or people. It's like a home group, he said. It's just like like a house church. It meets every Wednesday night. I reckon that you should, you would really enjoy that because he'd found out that I, I was a Christian, that I was a believer. And it was interesting that when I got there, I walked in through the door and there was a guy there called Roy Wardrum. Mm. And he was a ex, ex-open brethren again, but had, uh, had been kicked out because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and all that sort of thing. And he became a counsellor. He used to go around the world. He went around the world 37 times in the years that I knew him, just counselling people, mm. just sharing God's love. And as I walked through the door, the Lord said to him, I want you to be um, at that at that man's right-hand side for the next two years. Wow. And I'd never met him. And uh, he came alongside me, and he then mentored me for two years that I was in Taupo. That's awesome. He taught me to hear the voice of the Lord. He, he gave examples of, of how you just ask the Lord a question in whatever you're doing. Whatever you're, if you're a plumber, um, Lord, where the heck have I put that crescent? Mm. And and listen to him speak. And so he taught me to listen to the voice of the Lord and yeah. to ask the ask the Lord yes or no. Mm. Should I go and do something, Lord? Instead of just going and doing it because it's a good idea, yeah. Lord, should should I go and uh, go and visit this other person in town? And I I definitely learnt to hear the voice of the Lord. In fact, one time. I was went up to Auckland and I was staying at my brother's house um, and I was bored and I so I said, Oh I'll practice what Lord what Roy tells me. Lord, what would you have me to do? And I heard him speak That prayer is not used enough. Yeah. And it should be. Yeah. I mean a lot of the time we pray and go, Lord, I want you to 
uh, get me out of this situation or I want you to provide financially with me with this or yeah. and yet you're sort of ordering God around a little yeah. bit but how powerful is it when you go Lord what can I do for you my oh. service is here what what do you want me to do oh, sorry well, for jumping in yeah no without a doubt so because, good because Roy had taught me that um, he'd wake up in the morning and said Lord what would you have me to do it's based on Paul's experience mm. Um, on the road to Emmaus, mm. he said, "You know, so Lord, you know, what what should I do now?" Yeah. And the Lord said, "Go to a street called Straight, and there you will meet." Da da da. da. Yeah. So he made that his his rule of life of asking, and he, he would say, "Lord, what should I do today?" And the Lord Lord would say, "Stay at home." You'd hear him say that, and he hated that. He loved going out and doing things, or counselling people, or meeting people. And the Lord said, "Stay at home." So he'd stay at home. Sure enough, a couple would suddenly arrive from Ekatahuna or somewhere or other. Never told him he was coming. He said, oh, thank God you're home, Roy. Yeah, I've been expecting you. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so so, he was able to minister into their lives. Wow. Another time the Lord would say, go to tu- Turangi. Yeah. Not where to go, just go to Turangi. So he'd go to Turangi, and as he was driving into the town, a name would come into his head. He'd go around there, and there was a family in, 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 in great need. Mm. And so he taught me that. And so when I was in Auckland, I, I heard the Lord say, ring uh, this person, John. Ring John. And I had caught up with John for a long time. He used to be the a sales manager at Radio Haraki way back in the old mm. days. And um, so I picked up the phone, found his number, rang. It rang for ages and ages. So I said, oh, I can't be hearing the Lord because otherwise he would have answered. And all of a sudden the phone answered. He's puffing away. So I just ran up all the way up from the garden. Mm. Who are you? I said, it's Ray, Ray Curl. Oh, well, what are you doing in town, bro? Mm. Come over. So I went over there and I was able to share with him about the things of the Lord. Mm. Um, had I have not done that, he would, he would, he would have had that testimony. And a, cu- a couple of years later or a little bit later, he suddenly called me. When I was down in Taupo and said, listen, you're into that God thing, aren't you? Well, I've got something troubling me, and it's been troubling me for many years. Could I come down and talk with you? And so he came down and we prayed with him, and he was set free from something that was come horrific. On. Yeah. So see the connection that the, the Lord had done. So That's so cool. Yeah. I but, love that, eh? Like uh, just little little things here and there, and God sort of, when you zoom out a wee bit, you can really see the the, I guess, Orchestrative power of yeah. God just yeah. moving. I mean, often you're one little piece of the puzzle, yeah. and He's moving several around you yeah. to make things work. And a real joy that the Lord did, did was my daughter, whose tears had caused me to turn turn towards the Lord. She was much older now, seven or oh, seven or eight. She came to live with me in Taupo, so I was a solo dad, and uh, bringing up a, a daughter and. Um, that was a, a wonderful experience. Um, in fact, she asked to be baptised in, uh, in in Lake Taupo. Well, Lake Taupo is freezing. You know, I wouldn't recommend it myself. And uh, so I don't know whether it was just a tongue chattering or what. But when she came up out of the water, she was speaking in tongues. Wow! It was an incredible ex- experience. That's so cool. And uh, so and you were obviously very aware of the gifting of tongues and things like that. I had. I'd I'd I'd, I'd come into an understanding of that. Um. Uh, particularly because when 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 I'd been uh, at at United FM board meeting 
and I'd had that experience when I came home after repenting. Mm. I then went to a full gospel businessman's dinner in Auckland, um, the Auckland chapter, and they talked about salvation and they talked about being uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Mm. So I went forward for that, not really knowing a lot about it, and the guy just laughed. He said, the Holy Spirit's all over you. you. You've already got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, just open your mouth and start saying some syllables. And I did, and that was the tongues. It was just there. So oh. it was sitting there anyway. Cool. So Just had to action it. Just had to action it. So anyway, um, so she, she lived with me, and, and I was a solo dad for five years. I came to Auckland. Um, I met a lovely Christian lady, and uh, the Lord brought us together. We, we got married, and over the next 20 years, we had uh, four children. And um, I'd been, I was, when, the year we got married, I was invited to work for Bill Sabritsky as his crusade director, and I was with Bill for 13 years. And I, I saw many, many, many miracles. Mm. So I have great faith to see people healed because I've seen people healed. Mm. If, you ha- if you've never prayed for people and seen them healed, you might have doubts or unbelief. And so it, your faith isn't as strong. But when you've seen the miracles that I have seen happen and happen even when I've prayed for people, then your faith, you, you can believe God can do anything. Yeah. And um, I, re- I remember um, a young boy that uh, Bill had prayed for who had angulizing spongulitis. That's the sp- spine is disintegrating. You got a virus, like a flu or something or other. It had got bad and then got into a spine and and it was disintegrating. So if your spine disintegrates, obviously your body's going to collapse. So he was heading for dying real quick, and uh, he was uh, he was he was he couldn't walk. He was in a wheelchair and, and what have you. In the last few months of his life, he was brought to Bill's office, and I happened to be there because this is going back to when Universal Homes, and I saw this little boy. Go in. I thought, oh, that's nice. Bill's praying for someone in his lunch hour. What a lovely thing to do. Didn't think anything more of it. And I saw this little boy standing in the doorway with Bill behind him saying, well, son, if you can walk, you can run. There's the passageway. And this boy started uh, running down the corridor. And I thought to myself, oh, maybe you always could walk. You know how doubt comes in? But then I heard the the full story because... um, Later on, when I worked for Bill, Bill Sabritsky as Dove Ministries, I, I met the woman. She came forward to give, share her testimony, and she wrote a book, and she described the fact that he could not walk at all, and that when Bill said, the Lord must have told Bill, I will, I will heal him, lifted him up out of the wheelchair, and he collapsed on the ground, and Bill said, the Lord's healed you. You can stand. So he stood, and the parents said, oh, he can't stand, he can't stand, but he just stood there. And Bill said, brother, if you can stand, you can walk. Wow. There's the door. So he walked to the door, and that's when I saw him. Bill standing behind him saying, well, brother, if you can walk, you can run. Now, that boy was 12 years of age, and he was totally miraculously healed, not slowly as sometimes. Yeah. He was totally healed, and he became a Auckland regional soccer rep. Huh. Incredible story. So I saw wow. that. Saw the parts of that happen yeah. and got to interview the mum and got the whole story. So, man, yeah, and that has to build your faith, doesn't oh, it? Oh heck yeah! When you see stuff like that happen, you know, I'm always thinking when I'm reading reading through 
the Gospels and you see Jesus healing, you know, the blind man and things like that. And it's going, man, if if only if only I saw that. But that stuff happens today. Oh, heck yeah. 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 And, um, I mean, I, I, this podcast is uh, only for an hour or so, and uh, I could I could tell you stories for six hours of wow. what I saw God do. Yeah. Because Bill couldn't heal a flea. Yeah. I can't heal, heal a flea. Mm. But you can't doubt God when you see someone mir- miraculously mm. uh, healed. And we've, I've seen that dozens and dozens and dozens of times. You know, there's a guy that used to come to Bill's meetings at um, Green Lane, and he had a huge uh, tumour on his nose. I mean, it was a shocking-looking thing. You didn't want to look at him when you talked to him. And I think he was going to be scheduled for surgery or something or other, but this thing had gone on. And so he was prayed for, and uh, the next month he comes back to the meeting Nothing there. His, no, his nose was perfect. And Bill spotted him, called him out and said, hey, what what happened to you? He said, you won't believe this, but I received that Jesus was going to heal me. And I was lying in my bed and I woke up and there was this thing on in, in my bed. It wow. It had just come just fallen fall, off, fallen off. And there was nothing showing that was there. Wow. So I saw that. I saw, saw that guy. saw that happen to him. And so there were dozens of Dozens of little miracles. So. You'd want to put a little, put it in a little jar or something, okay? Keep it as proof. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's crazy, and it's just like you know, a lot of Christians say, "Oh, look, you know, Bill Sabitsky, he used to move in deliverance ministry and cast out demons, what have you." I don't believe a Christian can have a demon, and and what have you. And I just say, "Oh, yeah, is that right?" So the pastor who came to Bill's office one day and said, you know, I'm not, not into demons and deliverance and that, Bill, you know, but I've been really, really uh, sore back and sore shoulders for a long time and all the big wigs have prayed for me and I haven't been healed, so I'm coming to you in desperation. And mm. uh, Bill always had a, a witness with him whenever he prayed for people at, at, his, at his home, so nothing could be said that wasn't, wasn't mm. true. And uh, this lovely God-believing, God-fearing uh, pastor, Bill just started to pray for him, and he dropped to his knees and slithered out the door like a snake. Now, the human body can't do that. It couldn't do that. But with something inside it, it could. <laughs> and Bill and I, were, I, I had to jump up as he went. went oh, so you were there? I was there. Went had to go up between my legs and... and uh, um, Bill, Bill just walked out quietly afterwards and, and and just commanded the thing to leave. It left, and the guy turned around and said, what happened to me? How come I'm out here? And we told him. He what? Said, so he said, well, I, I guess I must be, have to, I'll have to believe that Christians can have a demon if I had one. Man. So when you see things like that and, and uh, Christians come up to you and say, oh, don't tell me that Christians can have a demon. I said, yeah. yeah. We only pray for Christians for deliverance. Yeah, we don't pray for outsiders. Yeah, because if they're not f- born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, seven more are going to come in. Sure, it'd be more destructive. Be more afterwards. destructive. Yeah. So anyway, certainly sort of things. So after thirteen years, I felt that the Lord was. Um, I'd come to an end of working for the ministry, and uh, my wife and I felt that we wanted to uh, move to Gisborne. We'd met some people, we'd spoken down there, and I just wanted to get back, I think, to a bit of white sand and surf. 
And so as a family, we moved to uh, Gisborne. I developed up something called Destination Gisborne, promotional tourism thing for there, and the Lord just provided for for us miraculously. I was asked to be the um, president of the Chamber of Commerce, and which is really a bit of a laugh. I mean, what, what did I know about business? But I had the Lord, you see, and I could always encourage them to do this and to do that and I used to meet them meet with the mayor and mm. and uh that that was quite a thing. Um unfortunately um my wife uh uh began to experience depression deep depression. I couldn't get to the bottom of it or after all the miracles I'd seen and what have you. And we moved back up to Auckland and um I took up the position of um, ad manager for Daystar magazine, Christian magazine, and uh, and and well, working an eight eight hour shift for Westpac. Um, but my wife, uh, her condition deteriorated, and she left the marriage, much to my heart heartbreak. And um, I waited then for nine years for her to return. I was in a beautiful fellowship and only hunger, and the men gathered around me. And we met every Saturday morning and had a men's meeting. While I was waiting for my wife to return to the marriage, never I never dated anyone, never went out uh, with anyone, because so I believed the Lord was going to going to bring her back, um, but He didn't, and and she uh, issued me with divorce papers. So I'm really embarrassed by this. Here's Bill Sabritsky's crusade organiser and his mar- second marriage is broken up and you have waves of shame and stuff coming across you except I never lost that peace that I had with the Lord mm. and um, I fasted and prayed for her to come back but it, it, it didn't happen and I was divorced. And so nine years later I go to the Christian Booksellers Association conference in Auckland and there's this lady selling this book called The Wild Side, From Meth Addiction to Redemption. And by then, two of, since the divorce, two of my kids had gone out and got into meth. And so I thought, I need that book. Mm. I wanted it for them. So I asked her for the book, uh, bought the book, and uh, went home and read it in one night. Wow. Bang, from beginning to end, all through her being a, a, a Westie, Gangster, yeah, um, meth addict, and because I was never a meth addict, and that that I'd skipped through that. I wanted to know what happened to her, mm. and then I found out that she got led to the Lord by someone in Ruawai, a little town I knew, and by Merv led led to the Lord by Merv Dodd, who was a full gospel businessman that I knew. So wow. I was really excited, and so I called my Australian boss because uh, then because I was selling for Initiate Media. Um, and so I've got this really hot book, you know, would you like to publish it in Australia? Because he was a publisher. He said, yep. Shall I send it to you? He said, no, nah, I believe you. Just do it. So I rang her up and said, hey, would you like to get your, your book? Uh, her name was Janet, Janet Lisa Balcom. Would you like to get your book published in Australia? She said, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. And so we started to correspond on the business side of things and we fell in love. Hmm. And I said, Lord, you know, I'm not going out with anybody. And uh, I said... Are you telling me that you want me to marry this lady? And he said, "Yes, Ray, wow. and I will, um, and I will give you a home." Now I wasn't asking for a home, so why did he say that? The interesting thing is because we got married six weeks later, 
had a most beautiful honeymoon. The Christian businessman in, in New Zealand put us up in treetops in Rotorua, $2,000 a night. Uh, most amazing place. We we just knew the Lord's hand was upon our marriage right from day one. Mm. And um, oh. I had to move to Ruwai because her son didn't want to move to Auckland. And that, and uh, so I moved to Ruwai and there's a beautiful old villa which was the Catholic priest's home next to the Catholic church had been made available to her. And um, the uh, Vodafone guy came around to the home while Jan, when Jan moved into it before we got married and said, ah, you want uh, internet? Well, you're one of four homes that are the closest to the Ruwai school so you can have access to VDSL. And I only had ordinary internet back there because I, you know, I couldn't marry anyone who didn't have the internet <coughs> because my whole world revolved around mm. my phones went out through the internet, mm. my um, selling went out through the internet and what have you. And so anyway, moved to Ruwai and uh, we developed Wildside Publishing. She'd already um, kept that name and she produced a book. Mm. Uh, we organised um, uh, book shows throughout the country and sold sold a book. And many, many people called us mm. while we were in Ruwai um, and said, hey, if you got off meth, uh, Janet, could you help my daughter? Can you help my son? Well, no, we couldn't really because they live in Ekadahuna and we live in Ruwai. How could we help them? Mm. But we thought about that a lot, the need to help people. And by that time, uh, we were counselling quite a lot of people in, mm. in the area, praying for people, seeing people healed and delivered just as a, just as a team together. Mm. And we felt um, the need to start up something. Uh, and I had um, we were thinking about uh, camps, up in, up north where we could hire a camp for a day and maybe do seminars for people. And then I had a dream. And in that dream, um, I was purchasing a camp and p- walking around it saying, yes, I like that and does that and what have you. I woke up and I said, Lord, what was that all about? Mm. The Lord said, check out Arapahui. Oh, I didn't know the Lord spoke Maori. But anyway... <laughs> I nudged my wife away. Said, yeah. "What the heck is Arapahui?" She said, "Oh, that's a old Bible camp, twenty minutes north of Ruawai, and uh, I don't even know if it's still going." She said, "But it was going for many, many years. School camps used to go there, and and this that. So, and uh, it, uh, Miriam Holloway, she's the wife of the of the founder Graham Crawshaw, and uh, her husband, of course, Mark Holloway, published one of the biggest selling Christian books in." New Zealand, mm. um, about uh, writing things down, listening to the Lord. And uh, so we phoned her and said, hey, what about this camp you used to be connected with? Mm. She said, oh, it's really run down. hasn't had anyone for 13 years, but my brother lives up there and he mows the lawns and that's about it. But we happen to be going there next weekend to have a family reunion. Would you like to come? So Jan and I... Go up. So a week later, after hearing the Lord say, check out Arapahui, we were checking out Arapahui. Wow. And here was this amazing lodge building, mm. which had a um, big roaring fireplace and uh, old cartwheels up in the roof with the light bulbs on. And we thought to ourselves, wow, what a, 
what a rehab, what a mm. retreat this could be. Yeah. Um, and uh, we knew it must be of the Lord because uh, the, the son of the owner who lived here took Jan aside and said, by the way, this place isn't for sale. Well, that told me it was. <laughs> and cut a long story short, we formed the Wildside Charitable Trust and we had no money, but we reached out to the Body of Christ in New Zealand. I'm an email nut, so I'm always able to... I had all the databases of the churches and the Christian organisation mm. for my advertising days, so we were able to email them up to all mm. and say, hey, look, this is what's happening. We're doing this. Would you... To, and we tr- we waited about a, over a year and nothing had happened, and uh, so we almost gave up on it. And then we get an email f- from the Arapahui Bush Camp Trust saying, "Are you guys still interested in Arapahui? Because we tried to sell it, what have you, and no one showed any interest. It was valued at a million dollars, and because it's twenty two acres of all these old cabins and rundown buildings and and mm. stuff." And um, when we got that email, um, I said to Jen, uh, hey, Arapahui's on the cards again. What do you think? And she got the word Boltol five times. Boltol, Boltol, Boltol. So I Googled Boltol. What does it mean? A place to escape to. And as I was doing that, the words came into my head, healing and recovery centre. So we said, it's all on. So we came back to them with with a price, just in the hundreds, um, they accepted it, and then we waited another year as, as we raised the money. I think we got up to about one hundred and fifty-five thousand, and then we sent out our last email saying um, we want to purchase this thing, uh, but it runs out at the end of the month. And a lady down in Upper Hut, involved in the Baptist Church there. Wonderful, wonderful uh, lady downloaded the email and and said, oh, and she, she rang me. She said, when I read the email that what you were doing there, she said it was like a electric mm. feeling came all the way through me. She said, I know that's the Holy Spirit. The last time he did that, my trust donated a, a million dollars to uh, <laughs> YWAM in Nelson and they got their building or what have you. She said, so how much wow. do you need? I said, well, actually, we're we're short by, um, I think it was two seventy thousand or something, and she said, well, there's only three hundred thousand left in the trust account, it's yours, wow. um, and that's how the Lord enabled us to borrow and and then with the donations to purchase this purchase this property. So we moved in, moved into here in, in uh, December five, twenty twenty, and. Um, We've been restoring the buildings with volunteers. Volunteers came and they they did up the home that we live in, called the farmhouse, and uh, and then and money just kept coming in every single month, and we were able to pay a carpenter to do things and a painter, and then my son, who's twenty seven, Johnny, um, we'd already taken his uh, fiance to be in to look after her, and so he came up and they got married. And they live in one of the houses here. It used to be called, used to be the old Dargaville Police Station. <laughs> so he does all the painting around the place yeah. and and uh, work. And then recently, my brother David, who I hadn't seen for a long time, he had been in Fiji for four to five years. He used to be the 
uh, video director for Bill Sabritsky for over 20 years mm. and Promise Keepers. And he is also, uh, he helped design the Shine TV studios. Mm. Very, very talented guy is my brother. I used to mock him when he was a boy. He used to make things out of cardboard and yeah. sellotape. And I used to walk on them and things as a big, big bully brother. And I used to mock him. But he didn't stop building things. He then became a boat builder. And, and then he built the whole TV station for Bill Srebritsky. And then he goes over to Fiji and he builds this dome house. Uh, which is hurricane proof. Mm. Oh, he's very clever. Don't don't tell him I said so. Though. <laughs> and he and he's he and his lovely wife Mari have come back and they live in uh, one of the old cottages that have been done up, um, beautiful old cottage. And that's the women's respite. Yeah. And they live in one of the rooms and, and they look after some of the guests that that mm. come. Well, David builds things all around the place for us, so it's just becoming. It's not a rehab. It's a Christian community that loves people. Mm. And the Lord is bringing about what he told us. Jan and I went out to uh, Waipu uh, Beach uh, for a weekend retreat ourselves before we moved here. We said, Lord, what is your vision Mm. for Arapahui? What do you want? Mm. And we heard the Lord say through... um, uh, a reading. I was, I, was, I was reading my U Vision Bible, and Nicky Gumble does a devotional, and I'd got the wrong date. Several, two couple of months ahead somehow, and the whole devotional was about what the Christian church should be, that it should be. It's out of Ephesians. It was an exegesis of Ephesians. It should be a community of people mm. that hold to the values of God, mm. that believe in uh, believe in marriage. Um, believe in righteousness, but have a have a absolute heart for, heart for the poor and the destitute and the broken. Mm. And we, when we read that, I said, "Lord, you're telling us something, aren't you? You're telling us this is what you want Arrow to be—not a commercial rehab or something or other. You want it to be a Christian community that just reaches out and loves people and brings. And of course." Because I've got the heart of an evangelist, and and so is Janet. This is really just becoming um, another means of evangelism, because we're reaching out to people who um, have been um, methodicted, are desperate to get out. Because we've got one rule here: you can't come here unless you are desperate to change your life. Mm. Because there ain't no point in putting months and months of time and effort into people that are just playing games. And part of that is also based on um, we met Peter Lyndon James, who runs Shalom House in Perth. It's the biggest Christian rehab in Australia. And he'd have 30 people call him wanting to come there, and he'd only take about three. He would take the most desperate because the most desperate want to change. Mm. And you can't work with people if they don't want to change, particularly from meth addiction. But we've also taken in, um, uh, taken people who've come from a, um, a toxic relationship that they need to get out of, out of it, they, that they mm. need shelter, and we'll take, that, take those persons in. So we've only had, we've had six or seven people come through since we've been here. Mm. And yeah. uh, we, we just love them. But the thing is, 
Again, we're not counsellors. We're not trained. We haven't got degrees in this, that or the other. So it's only God that is making the difference in anyone's lives who's come here. Yeah. And we see that happen. We had a lady came up from Auckland absolutely desperate to detox from heroin, which I had never come across in my life, heroin and methadone. She'd been to 15 detoxes and failed and no one else would take her again. Mm. So we were pretty reluctant. What do we know about heroin addiction, for heaven's sake? But she came and we gave her room and, and Janet, my wife, went stayed in the room with her while she manifested all the symptoms of uh, detox and detox withdrawal yep. and that. And we just prayed. And three days later on the Wednesday, I said, Lord, how do I pray for so-and-so? And the Lord, the Lord said, tell her to get up out of bed. She is clean. I thought, mm, okay. So I, I did say that. Do you know that she got out of bed and the next day she was down grooming the horses here and she was totally free from all withdrawals. Come on. I mean, I mean you only read about that in uh, Jackie Pullinger's book. Yeah. Um, Chasing the Dragon. Where, where in Hong Kong, I think it was, or Singapore, Hong Kong, they'd go out and pray for people with um, a heroin addiction in the street and they'd lay hands on them and they'd suddenly re- recover enough to go inside the ward city and mm. receive more prayer and they'd just pray over them speaking in tongues and they were totally healed. Mm. So I Come knew on. that God could do that, yeah. but you kind of don't think that you're going to see it happen yourself. Yeah. So, you know... God is an incredible God, uh, and I, th- I think thinking of Mark one fifteen, the Bible says the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the gospel, hmm. and 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 in Paul uh, in First Corinthians fifteen three, Paul says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, I believe that. I not only believe that that's what he did, I believe that I'm, I, I, I'm his son. Mm. And, 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 and we who love the Lord, we are his sons and daughters. And he will gift us with all sorts of gifts to reach out to people to bring them to him. Because mm. only he can save. Come on. That's Amen. so cool. Oh, well, I think that what you're doing here is absolutely incredible. And, um, yeah, we, so over the next few years, where do you see God taking you now with um, with the retreat out here? And is there going to be, um, you know, like Bible studies and things like that to help help the, the ones that want to know the Lord and things like that? But part, of, part of our program is that uh, we're going to have weekend hui's meetings where young people in particular can come out and we'll have motivational speakers and uh, to encourage them to uh, understand that the drug lifestyle is a lifestyle that you don't want to get into, mm. that working is a good thing for you to do. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. And, of course, there will always be the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that the Lord has brought this place together and he's bringing a lot of other places in New Zealand together. Mm. And I think there's an urgency. Mm. 
See, my astrology, I think is the right word, is that Christ is going to return. Yep. But before he returns, we're going to go through a, a terrible period in, this, in, in, in the world. It's called the tribulation. And I believe that people are going to be crying out for help mm. because as the, as the cost of living goes beyond, mm. that's why we've got big community garden being mm. laid out here. And the Lord said, to, said, Jan, get that garden ready. You've got many people to feed. Mm. Come on. So we don't know where it's going to go. All we know is that the Lord's put an urgency on us to get all the little cabins that, are, that were old railway huts brought onto the property, get them tarted up and uh, done up so that we can more and more people can just come and stay. Yeah. And so we can share the, share the Lord. So where it's going to go from here, only he knows. Mm. And it, every week, every day, we say, Lord, what would you have us to do now? Including which buildings do we paint next or yeah. do that? Because yeah. we don't want to be out painting this one when the Lord knows that this one, another one, would be better and quicker. Yeah. So we just ask the Lord, what, what does he want us to do? That's and so we cool. try and get really close to him, close enough to hear. Mm. Because I just believe that unless you're doing what the Lord wants you to do, you're just working in the flesh mm. or you're wasting your time. Yeah. M- much quicker because I'm a pretty impatient sort of person. And just like counselling people, you can sit and counsel people for six hours or you can say, Lord, what's the root of the problem? Mm. And he'll tell you. And it could be molestation as a child. It could have been an accident mm. that happened. And so when you bring that out as a word of knowledge that the Lord's given you, and you see the person tears just jump out of their eyes thinking, how did he know that? Mm. Well, of course he didn't. The Lord knew it, and the Lord can then bring healing quickly. Mm. And I like that. Come on. Amen. That's so cool. Oh, well, Ray, I think you've got an awesome story, an awesome testimony. And, uh, yeah, I just want to, um, you know, encourage anybody listening that if they've felt uh, the Holy Spirit prompt them to partner with Ray and everything that he's doing here at the retreat, We'll have all of that in the description below. So make sure you click on that and check that out. And uh, Ray, I just pray, you know, such a big blessing over you and what you're doing. You just, you're obeying God and you're doing it well. And um, and throughout uh, your journey, you're saying, Lord, what's the next step? Where am I going next? So yeah, just thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing. You're an amazing man of God. And um, I got so much out of this. I know that anybody listening is also going to get a huge amount out of it. So, well, well, I don't think I'm an amazing man of God, but I think He is amazing. Yes, and if He if He, he can take a uh, reprobate like me and, and and turn me into somebody who can help others, mm. He can do anything with anybody. Absolutely, He is the amazing one. Come on. That's so cool. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ray. Uh, We'll finish up here. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Jesus Magnet. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Jesus Magnet Podcast. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you connect with us. Find us on Facebook, on Instagram. And if you want to support us, be a member of our coffee club, Jesus Magnet Coffee Club. See you next time on The Jesus Magnet.